Section 13 of An Essay Concerning Human Understanding, Book 3 of Words by John Locke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abe Stone. Chapter 10 of The Abuse of Words, Part 2. Section 18. Putting them for the real essences of substances. It is true the names of substances would be much more useful, and propositions made in them much more certain, were the real essences of substances the ideas in our minds which those words signified. And it is for want of those real essences that our words convey so little knowledge or certainty in our discourses about them, and therefore the mind, to remove that imperfection as much as it can, makes them, by a secret supposition, to stand for a thing having that real essence, as if thereby it made some nearer approaches to it. For, Though the word man or gold signify nothing truly but a complex idea of properties united together in one sort of substances, yet there is scarce anybody in the use of these words, but often supposes each of those names to stand for a thing having the real essence on which these properties depend. Which is so far from diminishing the imperfection of our words, that by a plain abuse it adds to it, when we would make them stand for something which, not being in our complex idea, the name we use can no ways be the sign of. Section 19 Hence we think change of our complex ideas of substances, not to change their species. This shows us the reason why, in mixed modes, any of the ideas that make the composition of the complex one being left out or changed, it is allowed to be another thing, that is, to be of another species, as is plain in chance medley, manslaughter, murder, parricide, and so forth. The reason whereof is, because the complex idea signified by that name is the real as well as nominal essence, and there is no secret reference of that name to any other essence but that. But in substances it is not so. For though in that called gold one puts into his complex idea when another leaves out, and vice versa, yet men do not usually think that therefore the species is changed because they secretly in their minds refer that name and suppose it annexed to a real immutable essence of a thing existing, on which those properties depend. He that adds to his complex idea of gold that of fixedness and solubility in aqua regia, which he put not in it before, is not thought to have changed the species, but only to have a more perfect idea by adding another simple idea which is always in fact joined with those other of which his former complex idea consisted. But this reference of the name to a thing whereof we have not the idea is so far from helping at all that it only serves the more to involve us in difficulties. For by this tacit reference to the real essence of that species of bodies, the word gold, 
which by standing for a more or less perfect collection of simple ideas serves to design that sort of body well enough in civil discourse comes to have no signification at all being put for somewhat whereof we have no idea at all and so can signify nothing at all when the body itself is away for however it may be thought all one yet if well considered it will be found a quite different thing to argue about gold in name and about a parcel in the body itself for example a piece of leaf gold laid before us though in discourse we are fain to substitute the name for the thing section twenty the cause of this abuse a supposition of nature's working always regularly in setting boundaries to species that which i think very much disposes men to substitute their names for the real essences of species is the supposition before mentioned that nature works regularly in the production of things and sets the boundaries to each of those species by giving exactly the same real internal constitution to each individual which we rank under one general name whereas any one who observes their different qualities can hardly doubt that many of the individuals called by the same name are in their internal constitution as different one from another as several of those which are ranked under different specific names this supposition however that the same precise and internal constitution goes always with the same specific name makes men forward to take those names for the representatives of those real essences though indeed they signify nothing but the complex ideas they have in their minds when they use them so that if i may so say signifying one thing and being supposed for or put in the place of another they cannot but in such a kind of use cause a great deal of uncertainty in men's discourses especially in those who have thoroughly imbibed the doctrine of substantial forms whereby they firmly imagine the several species of things to be determined and distinguished section twenty one this abuse contains two false suppositions but however preposterous and absurd it be to make our names stand for ideas we have not or which is all one essences that we know not it being in effect to make our words the signs of nothing yet it is evident to any one who ever so little reflects on the use men make of their words that there is nothing more familiar when a man asks whether this or that thing he sees let it be a drill or a monstrous fetus be a man or no it is evident the question is not whether that particular thing agree to his complex idea expressed by the name man but whether it has in it the real essence of a species of things which he supposes his name man to stand for in which way of using the names of substances there are these false suppositions contained first that there are certain precise essences according to which nature makes all particular things and by which they are distinguished into species that everything has a real constitution whereby it is what it is and on which its sensible qualities depend is past doubt but i think it has been proved that this makes not the distinction of species as we rank them nor the boundaries of their names secondly 
This tacitly also insinuates as if we had ideas of these proposed essences. For to what purpose else is it to inquire whether this or that thing have the real essence of the species man if we did not suppose that there were such a specific essence known, which yet is utterly false, and therefore such application of names as would make them stand for ideas which we have not must needs cause great disorder in discourses and reasonings about them, and be a great inconvenience in our communication by words. Section 22. Sixthly, by proceeding upon the supposition that the words we use have a certain and evident signification, which other men cannot but understand. Sixthly, there remains yet another more general, though perhaps less observed, abuse of words, and that is, that men, having by a long and familiar use annexed to them certain ideas, they are apt to imagine so near and necessary a connection between the names and the signification they use them in, that they forwardly suppose one cannot but understand what their meaning is, and therefore one ought to acquiesce in the words delivered, as if it were past doubt that, in the use of those common received sounds, the speaker and hearer had necessarily the same precise ideas. Whence presuming that, when they have in discourse used any term, they have thereby, as it were, set before others the very thing they talked of. And so likewise, taking the words of others as naturally standing for just what they themselves have been accustomed to apply them to, they never trouble themselves to explain their own or understand clearly others' meaning. From whence commonly proceeds noise and wrangling without improvement or information, whilst men take words to be the constant regular marks of agreed notions, which in truth are no more but the voluntary and unsteady signs of their own ideas. And yet men think it strange if in discourse, or, where it is often absolutely necessary, in dispute, one sometimes asks the meaning of their terms, though the arguings one may every day observe in conversation make it evident that there are few names of complex ideas which any two men use for the same just precise collection. It is hard to name a word which will not be a clear instance of this. Life is a term none more familiar. Anyone almost would take it for an affront to be asked what he meant by it. And yet, if it comes in question whether a plant that lies ready formed in the seed have life, whether the embryo in an egg before incubation, or a man in a swoon without sense or motion be alive or no, it is easy to perceive that a clear, distinct, settled idea does not always accompany the use of so known a word as that of life is. Some gross and confused conceptions men indeed ordinarily have to which they apply the common words of their language, and such a loose use of their words serves them well enough in their ordinary discourses or affairs. But this is not sufficient for philosophical inquiries. Knowledge and reasoning require precise, determinate ideas, and though men will not be so importunately dull as not to understand what others say without demanding an explication of their terms, nor so troublesomely critical as to correct others in the use of the words they receive from them, yet where truth and knowledge are concerned in the case, 
I know not what fault it can be to desire the explication of words whose sense seems dubious, or why a man should be ashamed to own his ignorance in what sense another man uses his words, since he has no other way of certainly knowing it but by being informed. This abuse of taking words upon trust has nowhere spread so far, nor with so ill effects as amongst men of letters. The multiplication and obstinacy of disputes which have so laid waste the intellectual world is owing to nothing more than to this ill use of words. For, though it be generally believed that there is great diversity of opinions in the volumes and variety of controversies the world is distracted with, yet the most I can find that the contending learned men of different parties do in their arguings one with another is that they speak different languages. For I am apt to imagine that when any of them, quitting terms, think upon things and know what they think, they think all the same, though perhaps what they would have be different. Section 23. The Ends of Language. First, to convey our ideas. To conclude this consideration of the imperfection and abuse of language, the ends of language in our discourse with others being chiefly these three. First, to make known one man's thoughts or ideas to another. Secondly, to do so with as much ease and quickness as possible. And, thirdly, thereby to convey the knowledge of things. Language is either abused or deficient when it fails of any of these three. First, words fail in the first of these ends and lay not open one man's ideas to another's view. One, when men have names in their mouths without any determinate ideas in their minds, whereof they are the signs. Or, two, when they apply the common received names of any language to ideas to which the common use of that language does not apply them. Or, three, when they apply them very unsteadily, making them stand now for one and by and by for another idea. Section 24. Secondly, to do it with quickness. Secondly, men fail of conveying their thoughts with the quickness and ease that may be when they have complex ideas without having any distinct names for them. This is sometimes the fault of the language itself, which has not in it a sound yet applied to such a signification, and sometimes the fault of the man who has not yet learned the name for that idea he would show another. Section 25. Thirdly, therewith to convey the knowledge of things. Thirdly, there is no knowledge of things conveyed by men's words when their ideas agree not to the reality of things. Though it be a defect that has its original in our ideas, which are not so conformable to the nature of things as attention, study, and application might make them, yet it fails not to extend itself to our words too, when we use them as signs of real beings, which yet never had any reality or existence. Section 26. How men's words fail in all these. First, when used without any ideas. First, he that hath words of any language without distinct ideas in his mind to which he applies them, does, so far as he uses them in discourse, 
only make a noise without any sense or signification and how learned soever he may seem by the use of hard words or learned terms is not much more advanced thereby in knowledge than he would be in learning who had nothing in his study but the bare titles of books without possessing the contents of them for all such words however put into discourse according to the right construction of grammatical rules or the harmony of well-turned periods do yet amount to nothing but bare sounds and nothing else section twenty seven secondly when complex ideas are without names next to them secondly he that has complex ideas without particular names for them would be in no better case than a bookseller who had in his warehouse volumes that lay there unbound and without titles which he could therefore make known to others only by showing the loose sheets and communicate them only by tale this man is hindered in his discourse for want of words to communicate his complex ideas which he is therefore forced to make known by an enumeration of the simple ones that compose them and so is fain often to use twenty words to express what another man signifies in one section twenty eight thirdly when the same sign is not put for the same idea thirdly he that puts not constantly the same sign for the same idea but uses the same words sometimes in one and sometimes in another signification ought to pass in the schools and conversation for as fair a man as he does in the market and exchange who sells several things under the same name section twenty nine fourthly when words are diverted from their common use fourthly he that applies the words of any language to ideas different from those to which the common use of that country applies them however his own understanding may be filled with truth and light will not by such words be able to convey much of it to others without defining his terms for however the sounds are such as are familiarly known and easily enter the ears of those who are accustomed to them yet standing for other ideas than those they usually are annexed to and are wont to excite in the mind of the hearers they cannot make known the thoughts of him who thus uses them section thirty fifthly when they are names of fantastical imaginations fifthly he that imagined to himself substances such as never have been and filled his head with ideas which have not any correspondence with the real nature of things to which yet he gives settled and defined names may fill his discourse and perhaps another man's head with the fantastical imaginations of his own brain but will be very far from advancing thereby one jot in real and true knowledge section thirty one summary he that hath names without ideas wants meaning in his words and speaks only empty sounds he that hath complex ideas without names for them wants liberty and dispatch in his expressions and is necessitated to use paraphrases he that uses his words loosely and unsteadily will either be not minded or not understood he that applies his names to ideas different from their common use wants propriety in his language and speaks gibberish 
and he that hath the ideas of substances disagreeing with the real existence of things so far wants the materials of true knowledge in his understanding and hath instead thereof chimeras section thirty two how men's words fail when they stand for substances in our notions concerning substances we are liable to all the former inconveniences for example he that uses the word tarantula without having any imagination or idea of what it stands for pronounces a good word but so long means nothing at all by it two he that in a newly discovered country shall see several sorts of animals and vegetables unknown to him before may have as true ideas of them as of a horse or a stag but can speak of them only by a description till he shall either take the names the natives call them by or give them names himself three he that uses the word body sometimes for pure extension and sometimes for extension and solidity together will talk very fallaciously four he that gives the name horse to that idea which common usage calls mule talks improperly and will not be understood five he that thinks the name centaur stands for some real being imposes on himself and mistakes words for things section thirty three how when they stand for modes and relations in modes and relations generally we are liable only to the four first of these inconveniences to wit one i may have in my memory the names of modes as gratitude or charity and yet not have any precise ideas annexed in my thoughts to those names two i may have ideas and not know the names that belong to them for example i may have the idea of a man's drinking till his color and humor be altered till his tongue trips and his eyes look red and his feet fail him and yet not know that it is to be called drunkenness three i may have the ideas of virtues or vices and names also but apply them amiss for example when i apply the name frugality to that idea which others call and signify by this sound covetousness four i may use any of those names with inconstancy five but in modes and relations i cannot have ideas disagreeing to the existence of things for modes being complex ideas made by the mind at pleasure and relation being but by way of considering or comparing two things together and so also an idea of my own making these ideas can scarce be found to disagree with anything existing since they are not in the mind as the copies of things regularly made by nature nor as properties inseparably flowing from the internal constitution or essence of any substance but as it were patterns lodged in my memory with names annexed to them to denominate actions and relations by as they come to exist but the mistake is commonly in my giving a wrong name to my conceptions and so using words in a different sense from other people i am not understood but am thought to have wrong ideas of them when i give wrong names to them only if i put in my ideas of mixed modes or relations any inconsistent ideas together i fill my head also with chimeras since such ideas if well examined cannot so much as exist in the mind 
much less any real being ever be denominated from them. Section 34. Seventhly, language is often abused by figurative speech. Since wit and fancy find easier entertainment in the world than dry truth and real knowledge, figurative speeches and allusion in language will hardly be admitted as an imperfection or abuse of it. I confess, in discourses where we seek rather pleasure and delight than information and improvement, such ornaments as are borrowed from them can scarce pass for faults. But yet, if we would speak of things as they are, we must allow that all the art of rhetoric, besides order and clearness, all the artificial and figurative application of words eloquence hath invented, are for nothing else but to insinuate wrong ideas, move the passions, and thereby mislead the judgment, and so indeed are perfect cheats, and therefore, however laudable or allowable oratory may render them in harangues and popular addresses, they are certainly, in all discourses that pretend to inform or instruct, wholly to be avoided. And where truth and knowledge are concerned, cannot but be thought a great fault either of the language or person that makes use of them. What and how various they are will be superfluous here to take notice. The books of rhetoric which abound in the world will instruct those who want to be informed. Only I cannot but observe how little the preservation and improvement of truth and knowledge is the care and concern of mankind, since the arts of fallacy are endowed and preferred. It is evident how much men love to deceive and be deceived, since rhetoric, that powerful instrument of error and deceit, has its established professors, is publicly taught, and has always been had in great reputation. And I doubt not, but it will be thought great boldness, if not brutality in me, to have said thus much against it. Eloquence, like the fair sex, has two prevailing beauties in it to suffer itself ever to be spoken against. And it is in vain to find fault with those arts of deceiving, wherein men find pleasure to be deceived. End of section 13. Recording by Abe Stone, Berkeley, California, 2019.